This week, we're going to be continuing our series on hearing God. Hearing God. Have you ever had uh, an experience uh, with, with a, a Maps app that was a little frightening? <laughs> I had a scary Google Maps experience last summer. I was at the Grand Canyon, took my family to see beautiful Grand Canyon. It was a wonderful trip with, with my wife and kids. And uh, we were mapping our way back um, through, through Arizona. We were, we were going to go through Flagstaff and come back to Durango and then make our way back up to Denver. Um, and the map, it took us off of the main highway and onto a dirt road. But the dirt road looked kind of legit. You know, and Maps apps are kind of cool because they can help you to find shortcuts that you hadn't thought of before. Uh, now, thankfully, this road that at first glance looked legit, you know, even though it, it ended up being a kind of a scary experience, it eventually led us back to the main road. So don't be afraid. <laughs> uh, but not before we were going, you know, on a, on a regular dirt road, and eventually the road sort of just disappeared, and all there were were tire tracks to follow. There's no real road there anymore. And we were winding around mountains and kind of going down little little ravines and through herds of cattle. Uh, I kid you not. And at a couple points, I was worried: is is some rural militia going to come and and try to detain us <laughs> for being on their land? That was a little scary experience. And you know, see, I thought I was just following the map. You know, the map said to go this way, so I went this way. Uh, but even though I thought I was following the map, I was really lost. I didn't know where we were. Even if the map made me think that we might get back to where we needed to be, I didn't know where we were. And this, this drive would have been breathtakingly beautiful uh, if, if, uh, if, if, if it hadn't been so scary. Um, and it made me think of these Apple Maps fails. Have you heard of these where there's been people who have gotten to really dangerous situations by following the Maps app on their phone? Uh, back in, in 2015 in Australia at Murray Sunset National Park, um, there's, there's this desert-like 1,900-square-mile area where people who were on their maps app trying to navigate through that area got lost, and some of them lost for days. Uh, there, there's no cell phone reception there, and they were wandering around trying to find water. Uh, really scary uh, situation. See, in the moment, it's kind of hard to, di to disobey the maps app, right? After all, the Maps app is an authoritative version of, of the truth as to where the roads are, right? Um, and I think we've all experienced a time where we, we think that we might be following a map, but we're really lost. And you can kind of tell when you, when you realize, I am lost. Maybe it's when you first graduate college and you're thinking, gosh, I got to get a job. I don't, what, what should I do? What can I do with my life? Um, maybe it's after a breakup. Uh, you have you have a difficult a difficult end to a relationship when you lose a job or uh, when when a loved one is struggling with sickness or with mental illness um, maybe you have somebody that's that's close to you who's passed away um, maybe you've had difficulty with with uh, a pregnancy or or in getting pregnant those kinds of situations in life can make us feel really lost and when we feel lost our situation is actually. It's, it's often made worse by these voices around us that sort of sound authoritative. Um, these voices around us that say things like, hey, you just need to love yourself. That's not bad advice in general, but uh, it's not super helpful and it can actually end up hurting us a little bit. People will say things like, trust your gut or just stay positive or you need to be tough. People will say things like, you need to speak your truth or follow your heart. Uh, 
Hey, to each his own. Uh, you know, do what makes you happy. Uh, these, these pieces of advice can sound kind of authoritative in the moment, but sometimes they can actually hurt us and make us feel lost. And as followers of Jesus, when we're in a situation where, we're, where we feel lost, this can get even more confusing because we want to think that God speaks to us, that God is leading us in the middle of our confusion. So we, we may want to ask God, what should we do? But this simply raises the question, how do I know when God is speaking to me? Have you ever had that question before? How do I know when God is speaking to me? Is it an internal impression? Is it some crazy coincidence of events I see coming together in my life? Is it through hearing, uh, hearing some Christian leader give a message of some kind? It, do I hear God through just noticing what my desires are? Now, I want to say this. God can speak to us in many ways. He speaks through nature. He speaks through our consciences internally. He speaks of history. And even he speaks through our emotions and our circumstances. God does that. He speaks through our friends and our family members. See, God is always speaking. And as followers of Jesus, we need to learn how to recognize his voice. And the good news is, is that you can learn how to recognize God's voice. In this series... On hearing God. We've talked about why God speaks and how God speaks, but now we're going to learn about when God speaks. When God speaks. And today we're going to learn something together that will help you to discern God's voice. See, the key to, to discerning God's voice is to think about what he's already said, and that means thinking biblically. What has God already said? What's well, the words in the Bible? These are the things that God has said. And so the key to discerning God's voice is thinking about what he's already said. And that leads to this concept of thinking biblically. Here's what the Bible says about thinking biblically. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Now this passage, this is from Psalm 119 and it's verse 105. This passage is speaking about God's words generally. But more specifically, this is talking about the Bible. In fact, all of Psalm 119 is about how important the scriptures are for our life. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. This is saying that your life is kind of like a journey. And seeing the destination can be hard uh, because... Because the world can be a dark place sometimes. In this last year, we've, we've seen how the world can be a dark place sometimes. And there are a lot of things in life that can make you stumble or trip up. There are bad people. There are confusing situations. Um, there are things like toxic relationships or substance abuse. And even our own selfishness and pride can sometimes trip us up. But when we consider God's words... They're like a lamp shining down on our feet. Every time you take a step, you have enough light to make sure that you're going to have sure footing. You won't be twisting your ankles. You won't be stepping onto something painful. You won't be stubbing your toe or tripping and falling. God's word is a lamp to guide your feet and a light for your path. God's words, they're, they're, they're a light for our path. This is saying that the world is sometimes a dark and confusing place. And there are a lot of pathways. And there's often danger to the right or to the left. 
There are attractive pathways that may actually be dangerous, like the pathways of comfort. I want to live my life to be comfortable. The pathway of fame and success. The pathway of hedonism, where pleasure controls you. But when we consider God's words, they're like light shining on our pathway. See, it's easy to get off, uh, get off of God's pathway and onto another pathway, and then to end up getting lost. No one ever wakes up and says, hey, today I'm going to become a hedonist. I'm going to take that pathway. <laughs> no one ever wakes up and says that. <laughs> or no one ever wakes up and says, you know what I think I'm going to do? I'm going to make my comfort and my success my top priority. People typically don't think like that. These things happen gradually, though. They happen over time. Where you find yourself drifting away from God and onto another pathway. Does that describe you today? If so, God's saying to you that his words are a lamp to guide your feet and a light for your pathway. See, when you consider God's words, you have light on your path, reassuring you of the best pathway, the one that will take you through the most beautiful vistas, the one that will help you to get the right kind of exercise, and ultimately the one that's going to lead you safely home. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to help us to start thinking biblically about the kinds of things that we may want to hear God talk to us about. We live in a complex world and there are real life situations that we should be thinking about. And when we think about them, we should think biblically, thinking about what God's already said. See, that's the key to discerning God's voice. It's to think about what he's already said. And this means thinking biblically. So for you, in what ways? Would you like to hear God's voice? Where in, where in your life would you like to be able to discern God's voice? Let me offer some examples. Situation one. Uh, how do you stay motivated at work? That's a real life situation. How do you stay motivated at work? You know, somebody at my software company, they actually asked me this this week. <laughs> they asked me this in a one-on-one -on -one meeting. He said, hey, I, I just want to know, like, how do you stay motivated to do your job? And, and I said, all right, man, yeah, I'd love to talk about that, but I'm going to get real. And here's what I said. I said that my desire to work isn't just to make a lot of money or to simply provide for my family. There's nothing wrong with making money, and there's nothing wrong with providing for your family. Uh, but I said, my motivation to work is deeper than that. It goes back to why I think humans exist in the first place. I think that humans have a purpose. See, when God created humanity, he made for them a purpose. And he made them to fulfill that purpose. And this is what the Bible says. This is in Genesis 1, uh, 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals that scurry along the ground. I want to call out a few things. This is that humans are like God when they reign over the earth, when they exercise dominion over the earth. And God's command is that humans would take care of his creation. 
and that includes governing it for fruitful use. See, when you start thinking biblically about work, you realize that God gave humans a unique purpose to work hard. We're supposed to be fruitful and to make use of God's creation. This means that I want to work hard at my company because God made me to be a steward of the created world. Software, what I do, is just part of that mandate. See, whether you drive a car or report the news, if you balance the books or if you sell goods and services or if you care for your family, you're doing what God made you to do. God made you to work. And even more, when you work, you look like God. The scripture says that you're created in God's image, and that means that you're going to rule over the earth. Being made in God's image means being a creature who works. The other thing I told my friend at work this week is that I'm motivated to work hard because I love God. <laughs> I said, look, I love God, and I think that's a lot of motivation to work hard. See, the reason that I exist is not just to pay for great vacations or to build my retirement account. See, instead, here's what the Bible says. This is from Colossians 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. See, I don't just work for a paycheck. <laughs> I work to serve Jesus. That means that if I'm filing a report or holding a meeting, uh, keeping my systems updated, uh, if, I'm, if I'm writing a good email, whatever that is, I'm working for God. And my reward comes from God. That means that if I'm diffusing a contentious situation or if I'm going to a training, if I'm showing up a little early to help someone else clean up their mess, I'm working for God and my reward comes from God. This means as a parent, if I'm teaching my kids to say, I'm sorry, and I forgive you, these are things that we teach our kids to say, or if I'm explaining a difficult concept to someone who just doesn't get it, or if I'm at work and I'm sitting in another pointless meeting, <laughs> I'm working for God, and my reward comes from God. See, all of this discernment about life and work is about hearing God's voice through the Bible. See, discerning God's voice means thinking about what he's already said. So when I, when I worry about who am I and what am I doing with my life and, and is my job making a difference or whatever, I, I, I'm able to contextualize that around the idea that I was made to work hard. And that's a good thing. And whatever I'm doing, I work for God. So that's, that's one situation. See, God's word is the lamp to my feet and a light for my path. There's another situation, situation number two. This is, this is a, a serious one in our world today. There are about 12 to 14 million undocumented immigrants in the United States today. 12 to 14 million. Uh, people who look at this issue, this difficult issue, they want to make it all about compassion or all about security. But these responses are both insufficient because when you start thinking biblically, you start looking at the issue a little bit more holistically. Here's what the Bible says. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. This is from Deuteronomy 10. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. So you too must show love to foreigners. 
for you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. Another place in the Bible it says this, The authorities, talking about the government, are God's servants, sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants, sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do wrong. That's Romans 13. See, the government's job is to protect people. That's the government's primary job. They need to enforce laws to keep the country safe. This means that the government needs to make sure that unsafe people don't come over the border. But at the same time, the kind of life that God wants us to lead means that we need to be compassionate towards those who are not from our country. For nearly all of the people who come to the United States without proper documentation they're coming, and who come through our southern border, they're fleeing war, corruption, and the merciless power of drug cartels. This means that we owe them compassion. Now, the government needs to protect us, but we need to find a way to set up a system that's generous and compassionate towards those who don't have proper documentation and who are in our country. See, this is a complex issue. And if you think that the right or left has it, they don't. What we need is a holistic response to this. And this is the kind of thing that the Bible helps us to think biblically about. And there's a lot more to say about this issue. I didn't give a policy proposal just now. I'm just saying that the Bible helps us to look at the issue holistically and to understand that, that the complexities of life can be illumined by the scriptures, which give light to our feet and a light to our path. Another situation Maybe, you, you, maybe this is you, and I, and I, prayed, I prayed about this, this this week. I think God put this one on my heart. This could be a situation where my significant other loves me, but doesn't want to get married. That's the third situation. My significant other loves me, but doesn't want to get married. This can be a confusing situation. Whether this is something that you're going through, or maybe just something that a loved one is going through. It's confusing because there could be a number of motivations behind a situation like this. A number of presuppositions that people could bring into their relationships with this kind of situation. See, someone could just think that marriage is old-fashioned. Or they could think that marriage is just another, uh, another expression of the patriarchy. They could be afraid of commitment. Or sometimes people who think these things are just selfish. But thinking biblically helps us to understand this issue better because thinking biblically means that you start seeing marriage differently. See, the Bible has no concept of a long-term romance that isn't leading to marriage. Indeed, the purpose of romantic relationships in the Bible is to leave one's singleness and to completely be committed to, the, to one's spouse. Here's what the Bible says. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So, so, so they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. <coughs> Pardon me, that's Mark 9. People in our culture think that relationships are primarily about making you happy or making you comfortable. Uh, now, one of the benefits of marriage is happiness and comfort, but marriage is not always happy and comfortable. Sometimes marriage means being committed to someone when they're sick. It means being faithful when the other person has character flaws. It means being steady when the other person is going through their worst failures in life. And that's a kind of beauty that a lack of commitment will never get you. 
See, I think we need, we need to look at this idea, too, about marriage being patriarchal and outdated. Because surely marriage has been a tool of oppression from evil people and unjust social structures. People have misused it as a tool to, 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 to do great evil. There's overt justices like child marriage, or there's other kinds of abuse. But there's also more tacit kinds of manipulation too, like emotion, emotional manipulation. Um, uh, there, there could be things like gaslighting or a demand for blind obedience in a marriage. Marriage, yeah, it can be misused as a tool of oppression, but that's not biblical marriage. See, when you start looking at the issue biblically, you see it for how beautiful it is. Here's what the Bible says. This is from uh, Ephesians 5. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's a command to the husband and to the wife to submit to one another. It continues, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Submission is mutual. Love is supposed to be mutual. Marriage means giving yourself up for the other and not demanding anything from them or manipulating them. Biblical marriage is about serving the other person. It's not about getting what you want. It's about giving the other person your very best to serve them and to help them in their life. In fact, when you read a very common word for love in the Bible, it's the word agape. And agape means that you are committed to the highest good of the other. If you're in a romantic relationship with a follower of Jesus, being committed to their highest good means that you should be you should be committed. <laughs> it means that you should be moving towards marriage. And I would offer a final warning, and this with no judgment. And if you've heard any judgment so far, I'm sorry that, that that's come off that way. Really, what I want you to know is that God loves you. <laughs> I have no judgment for you if you're in a difficult situation. But I would offer a warning. If your significant other says that they love you, but they don't want to get married to you, I would suggest that there's something really missing there. See, love is about putting the other's needs and desires above your own. It's about fully committing your life to put the other person first. And so marriage is really just a covenant. It's a promise solidifying that commitment. And if someone's unwilling to make that commitment to you, or to at least be moving in that direction, here's what the Bible says about that. This is from Proverbs 4. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Now, if you're in a difficult situation, or you know someone who is, I have no judgment, just love for you. But learning how to hear God's voice in your relationship means thinking about what God has said about love in the Bible. And here's what the Bible says about God's love for you. And this is what I hope you'll, you'll walk away from this message with. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's from 1 John 4. As I conclude today, let's be people who, who receive that love from God, knowing that God has loved us first. And that's for you, friend, wherever you are, whatever situation you're walking through. God's word to you is that he loves you. And you know what love is because he has loved you first. 
That's the good news. God sent his son Jesus to die for you, to rise again from the dead, and to give you a hope and a future. That's what God wants to say to you today. So as we, as we conclude, let's be people who love the Bible. Let's be people who get the scriptures deep into our hearts. Let's be people who are thinking about the Bible every day. People who are meditating on it so that we can discern God's voice in every situation in our lives. And if that seems like a big task, reading the Bible, it's a big book after all. <laughs> it's a lifelong task, it is. But here are a couple things that you could start doing tomorrow. Number one, start reading the Bible and read it slowly and read it prayerfully. At HopeDenver.com on our blog, we have an article uh, called 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. And inside that article, there are a bunch of great apps that you could download that will help you to start reading the Bible. I use one on my phone called the YouVersion app, YouVersion, and it's, it's really helpful for me. I have a simple little Bible reading plan that pops up every day. I read that, and I just get God's scripture in my mind as I start my day. Um, so you can check that out at HopeDenver.com. Another thing is to start spending time with people who read the Bible. So you need to start reading the Bible, but you need to spend time with people who read the Bible. This is why at Hope Denver we have groups. It's a huge part of what we do. We, we spend time every week with people who are different from us, people who are similar to us, and we just think about what God has said. And we encourage one another. We usually do it sharing food. These days we're, we're doing it sometimes over Zoom, sometimes in, a, in, a, in an outdoor setting, uh, distance from each other. But we do it to, to start to think about the Bible together and to spend time with people who love us. And so, in Jesus' name, I pray that God's word would be a lamp for your feet and a light for your pathway. I pray that all of us this week would learn to love the scriptures more and more, and we would learn to think biblically. And we thank you, Jesus, that you died and rose again for us. And we just receive that right now. Would you just do that, friend, wherever you are? Just say, Jesus, I receive your gift of love for me. And you can say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins and be my master and my Lord this week. I want to follow you and give my heart to you in your name. Amen. God bless you.